Hello everyone, welcome to Luke Law, a quick deep dive into a folklore topic where I share some of the stories from around the world that have piqued my interest. I thought I'd have a little fun with this one using one of my favourite horror tropes today, and I'll be talking the living dead, zombies. This time out, since I can see me coming back for regional variations from all corners of the world on this one, this episode will be going pretty broad, looking at pop culture benchmarks and where these archetypes came from. So let us venture forth with A Field Guide to Zombies. Actual Zombies The word zombie as it is used now is something of a relatively recent bastardization. As with most things in wider storytelling, there is older folklore that's something of a foundational basis, even though zombies as we know them now are pretty different. A zombie, originally, was someone enslaved via some form of magic, often some form of voodoo, typically by causing a chosen victim to rise from the grave and their master taking control of the living dead, something of a fate worse than death that a practitioner of certain magic can use. It's not often that you can find these original types of zombies in cinema, although they're out there and they did come first. White Zombie from 1932 has a good three, nearly four decades on George Romero, and there are the occasional revivals of the idea such as when Wes Craven made The Serpent and the Rainbow in the 80s. Given the topics of slavery and the appropriation of actual beliefs, these verge on pretty controversial territory, but tend to have enough value and introspection they haven't caused too much trouble yet. How likely these zombies are to occur in real life starts to tread on faith and spirituality, but there are some interesting theories out there. There's been a lot of speculation that the stories of these zombies come from the deceptively simple technique of actually making someone into a zombie servant, thanks to a chemical cocktail. One suspected ingredient being tetrodotoxin from a pufferfish. In the right quantity with other ingredients in the mix, the theory goes that people put into a state so close to death, families begin funeral preparations. The zombie master then recovers the near corpse and gives them enough of a treatment to make them mobile again, the neurotoxin destroying the personality of the victim but leaving them mobile and able to carry out simple tasks. Living death doesn't necessarily mean dying all the way first and then coming back. While there are some more visceral entries to come on this um, episode, there's a special terror to a traditional zombie. To be broken as a human, as an individual, and used as an automaton under someone else's control is a special personal hell. That it could be done with a chemical cocktail for real is not in any way a reassurance that this is in some way a proper magic curse. As an offshoot to this, there do seem to be some foundational tales which feed into modern interpretations of violent zombies. That a voodoo zombie should not be given salt as this could start to break the spell, and the now enraged zombie would violently turn upon their former master. For the most part though, the roots of the folklore are a form of ensorcelment and magical control, with the added elements of death and undeath unique to the traditions these stories originate from. So, true zombies come from Haitian and West African traditions, and in a way I'm glad that filmmakers just kind of stopped messing with them, as pop culture zombies became something else although I would enjoy a high fidelity return to the concept in the hands of people well versed in these traditions, zombies mean something very different now. Flesh-eating ghouls Here's where we get modern zombies as the zeitgeist understands them, starting with the breakout success of George Romero's 1968 Night of the Living Dead. This is what horror purists mean when they say zombie or anyone says anything else is a zombie and a semantics argument breaks out with said purist. 
a reanimated corpse, their top speed being a hungry shamble. Easy to outrun, but dangerous in large numbers, and each one individually relentless. To be bit by a zombie is to inevitably become a zombie yourself. Should the living dead get too close, your choices become either be eaten alive, or fleeing, infected, to inevitably become another one of their number. The best zombie movies out there focusing on social commentary, using the shambling hordes as a parable for something else. Except they were never supposed to be zombies. In the original Night of the Living Dead, they were never referred to as zombies. Not in the movie, not in the marketing. It was fans who later dubbed these cannibalistic living dead as zombies, and the term caught on so hard that any and all subsequent media just ran with it. The script referred to them as ghouls, which is weirdly accurate to folklore. Flesh-eating ghouls are effectively a branch of vampire myth. The very not-sexy branch made up by the more visceral details Bram Stoker dropped when codifying folklore into Dracula. The novel I Am Legend by Richard Matheson somewhat revived the idea, being a scientific um, approach to vampires, and that was a direct influence on Night of the Living Dead, even though movie adaptations kind of went with mutants up until the Will Smith one. As you go back to a lot of the original folklore, it isn't just blood being consumed, and there's a significant lack of sexiness. All Living Dead, whatever the word, were feeding on the living, and that was about it, really. Vampire, Striga, Yeski, or just plain ghoul, they were grounded in much simpler fears. The dead are hungry, and they're coming home to take the rest of their family with them. The magical powers and specific weaknesses of assorted vampires are there scattered across the older stories, but the popularity of Dracula at the turn of the 20th century and beyond caused a definitive split in the folklore. Vampires as we now know them got all the cool stuff, and ghouls got the grittier, more grounded and gory end of the stick. Something causes the corpse to get back up, and it's mindlessly hungry for the flesh of the living. Despite how iconic they are, these are the least likely zombies to actually occur. They are grounded in folklore and the supernatural without a strong potential scientific equivalent, unless they overlap with the other three categories I have to share today. There is a minor exception I guess with corpses animated by parasites, so think Night of the Creeps, but the basic modern era zombie is pretty simple up until around the 90s, which we'll move on to now. Viral Biohazards This is pretty much where zombies have settled now. It's not cosmic radiation or hell hitting no vacancy light, but some sort of reanimation virus. Resident Evil, or Biohazard in Japan, really codified this with the fictional T-Virus and all of its successors. Cinema has had viruses causing chaos before, such as with the Crazies or even something like Cujo, but now, if you have an out of control variation of rabies, odds are you're going to end up with some equivalent of the Walking Dead on the loose. While disease-linked zombies can have all the familiar tropes of Romero Shambler applied, this is also the rise of the undead sprinter. You talk about 28 days later in some circles, typically online, and you risk the ref of a, well, actually, comment about how they're not real zombies. They're infected. I guess that distinction is a personal preference at this point. I'm happy enough covering the whole branch as viral zombies, although my mum for one draws a line in the sand at running zombies. According to my mum, zombies don't run. Although, Return of the Living Dead, and a lot of more recent versions such as Zombieland or the Dawn of the Dead remake just roll with the concept of zombies sprinting. 
Zombie works for me as a broad category, since even slow shambling corpses aren't technically zombies themselves compared to the original zombie folklore. Cinema loves viral zombies for their Walking Dead, such as in The Walking Dead, but there's not really been a real-world equivalent, thankfully. We have worryingly seen zombie-like states induced by drugs in the news, though, or just where people party too hard. Weirdly, tying contemporary pop culture zombies back into the tetrodotoxin cocktail speculated about in traditional zombie lore. Spice, being a cheap and dirty drug made up of old, technically not illegal at the time, although very illegal now, laboratory concoctions to imitate a weed-like high. Actual results vary, especially as they get stronger and cheaper by any means necessary, but Spice said sure as hell look like zombies when you spot one, being slow-moving and oblivious to everything around them. To add the violence back into the equation to get a Romero-style zombie though, you need the street drug referred to as bath salts. These were another of the technically legal highs until the law caught up with them. Similar to how Spice was a marijuana replacement, these ones were a replacement for MDMA. Only there were some very noteworthy stories that reached the news where users were less huggers and more face biters. Some news outlets even sensationalised these reports as zombie attacks, causing a spike in a panic for the extra attention. Can I add a quick PSA about not taking drugs just because they're not technically illegal yet? That's not the same as good for you people, we're talking about them in a podcast on zombie flesh eaters. That important aside done, let's get on with the worst of the bunch. Content warning for nature being terrible. The new growth. What do I keep saying? Don't go outside or nature will kill you? Hmm, well, I've kind of skipped over regular parasites here, I now realise. Feel free to think of parasite-based zombies as a bridge from biohazards to here, and let's get stuck in with the next big thing in zombies. Parasitic fungus. Anyone who has played The Last of Us will have seen this in action, and everyone else will catch up soon as the show based on the game gets out there. When is that, actually? It's coming, and it's probably going to be good. I say I glossed over regular parasites because as disturbing as they are, they just tend to ride shotgun and drain resources of the host in the real world. Gross, but not zombification levels of gross at least. I have the bad news that the fungus in The Last of Us is based on a real type of cordyceps, which has over 600 varieties in the wild, and while it only affects insects, this stuff actually changes the behaviour of what it infects. Now, in the wild, cordyceps isn't as violent as the strain depicted in The Last of Us, but if anything, it's stranger than simply provoking violence. A lot of variations just do odd tricks to make infected insects more likely to be eaten. Entering the next stage of this parasitic cycle as the predator species then spreads the fungus in fecal matter, which goes to insects and it goes on and on. But then there's what is possibly the most notorious version of cordyceps. It's being given the nickname the zombie fungus. Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, a rainforest strain which targets ants. Once an ant comes into contact with the infectious spores the mature fungus emits, the ant is doomed. The ant's behaviour completely changes. It somehow pushes an ant to find purchase above an entrance to the ant colony it came from, and then it latches its jaws down to secure what is about to become its corpse. Once secure, the fungus erupts from the shell of the ant's remains, where it can rain spores down on the colony below. Now, this terrifies me in multiple ways. The parasitic infection, 
having a fungus eat up your insides to grow out of you, but what the actual hell is going on to cross a creature's wires to the point where it changes its behaviour so much? Cordyceps is absolute nightmare fuel. This is, weirdly, where The Last of Us is closest to Cordyceps as we understand it in the wild, uh, because within the world of the game, and soon series, human habitations are infested with spore-releasing growths. It just chucks raging zombie creatures on top as an extra threat. I do also have some bonus bad news. Cordyceps isn't the only high-profile parasitic fungus out there at the moment. Another one popped up in the news recently with a 2021 cycle of cicadas. This parasite harnessing the powers of horniness to spread, infecting cicadas in such a way that their breeding frenzy part of their life cycle is spreading a psychedelic parasitic fungus called Massaspora cicadina even to the point of modifying the bodies of males so they behave as females seeking to breed, to spread the fungus even faster and further. This one sadly feels like it would be one we fell for as a species given half the chance, so it can feel free not to jump species barriers along with Cordyceps itself. This next level of Nightmare Field does have me looking forward to The Last of Us on Netflix though. It should be some pretty awesome horror if they get it right. That's all for this episode. I hope everyone managed to bear with me through this one without getting too freaked out. The fungus especially is pretty disturbing, and this kind of turned into an entire episode about how zombies could really happen. To any listeners out there, I am most definitely looking for living dead leads. Let's get together a truly weird and fun episode on specific regional variations. If you do want to contact me, there's the show's dedicated email, lukelawgsg at gmail.com, and the general show email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Both myself and the main show are really easy to find on Facebook and Twitter if you want to make day-to-day contact, as well as there being a very active Instagram account a lot of the community gets involved with, and the baby Luke Lord Instagram which has some folklore stuff on. If you want to support the show directly, definitely check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. It'll give you access to all sorts of GSG goodies at different tiers, my incentive being that Lucular episodes go out to patrons a little bit early. As ever though, the absolute best thing anyone can do to support the show is to give it a listen. Share this around if you think you may know someone who may be interested, leave a review if you get the chance to help Signal boost me, and most of all, I simply hope you enjoy what I'm doing here. Goodbye for now. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.